find out where the numbers do make sense, make your package or make your offer on that. And if you just can't close the gap quickly enough, walk away because there's always going to be another deal behind it. Best ever listeners, I'm so excited to share today's sponsor with you. It's Eastern Union Funding and Arbor Realty Trust. If you're in the multifamily space, you likely recognize these names, but have you used them? Uh, I'm guessing if you haven't, then you probably know someone who has. I can tell you personally, we have used uh, Mark Belsky. He is a point person at Eastern Union Funding as a partner with us, and he has helped us secure debt uh, for actually a deal we closed on this month. And we've worked with him. Um, In addition, my clients, my program, my consulting program have worked with him to successfully close on deals. When we were starting out, Ashcroft was starting out, we had somewhat of a track record, but we weren't fully as established with our investor network. I went to him and we secured some equity, $500,000 in equity to fund one of our deals. While he works with more institutional partners, he's brought $200 million in equity over the last 12 months. He was able to help us out there and we've built a relationship with him and Eastern Union Funding ever since. So if you need equity for your deal and you have a track record, then he's your point person. His number is 212-897-9875. If you need debt, then he partners up with Arbor on a lot of transactions. So if you're a multifamily borrower who wants agency or bridge debt, then that's the team to work with. Uh, We have worked with their team, both Eastern Union and Arbor, on deals. And people who have purchased our deals, purchased deals from us, have used Arbor, as well as my clients in my consulting program, they've used it. So this is a recommendation that comes from firsthand experience. And the last thing I'll say about uh, working with Mark Belsky at Eastern Union is that if you need a loan guarantor, but don't have that track record quite yet, then Mark can look at what you've, the deal you've got And assuming it checks out, he can make introductions to people he knows as potential loan guarantors for your deal. So debt, equity, and potentially loan guarantors. Uh, All you need, well, you need to find a deal, obviously. Um, But besides that, you know, the other main components of the deal they can help you out with. So talk to Mark Belsky. His email is mbelsky at easterneq.com and his phone number 212-897-9875. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of the fluffy stuff. With us today, Whitney Elkins Hutton. How you doing, Whitney? Good. How are you, Joe? I'm doing great. Nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Whitney. She is a public health researcher turned operations and system manager. She started investing in real estate in 2001 with zero dollars of her own. Now controls 345 residential units and 1,437 self storage units across seven states using the Burr method creative financing and syndication strategies based in Boulder, Colorado. So that being said, Whitney, we give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus. 
Yes, thanks, Joe. So I started off post-college in public health research, really always just leaned into helping communities and helping people. Over the course of my career, I ventured into community health and nutrition, primarily working in pharmacies. And my husband actually works for the government. And we realized just a few years ago that What we were doing to save for our retirement just wasn't going to get us there, and we wanted to have better clarity and control. So we took my experience in real estate investing that I learned in 2001, and I rolled that into building out a rental portfolio that we hold, single-family rentals, as well as a multifamily portfolio that we control, almost 345 residential units, and then also some self-storage units across the United States. Self-storage residential is the residential part of that. Is that apartment community, I imagine? The residential, no, we actually buy single family homes and we utilize the birth strategy. So we'll buy low, rehab the unit, put a tenant in it, then refinance out and then just rinse and repeat. So all 345 residential units are all single families? No, we have That's about what I was asking. Sorry. Yeah, tw- no, it's okay. We're coming up on 20 residential units that are, we've worked through various strategies, including the birth strategy. Of the 345 units, 325 are actually multifamily units that are in multifamily syndications. Got it. So were you the GP on those deals? No, LP on You're those the deals. LP. Okay, yes. I'm with you. Okay, now the picture is crystallizing. So you have 20 residential units and then separately you are a limited partner on 325 apartment units being increasing month over month and increase okay cool and then the 1437 self storage are you a limited partner on those yes yeah, limited partner on those as well okay cool What has been your experience and the differences between investing as a limited partner in apartments versus self-storage? You know, the self-storage units are relatively new for me, but just looking at the business model, both multifamily and self-storage operate like a business. So you're looking at the pro forma and the P&L as if you were running your own business. Income coming in, all the expenses are figured into the numbers upon the purchase. Now, with self-storage, I think there's additional ways, especially if you're doing value-add, that you can bring in and partner with other entities, say, like maybe you have a U-Haul contract that you wanted to bring in. So you can leverage other big names in order to build into that value-add. And how do you pick which type of partnership or which type of deal that you invest in? I know that's a loaded question. (laughs) Great question, though. I think really what has allowed me to scale as quickly as I have is to build out a trusted network and to basically leverage that network, get to learn the people that are actually putting together those deals and be able to build such a report where you can pick apart the numbers and really dive in on their particular strategy and where they're going and their path that they've taken on building out their financials. So you really want to put your money with a trusted provider. And do you, with the self-storage versus residential and plus also combining with the 20 residential unit that you're doing, where does your focus go and to what degree do you have to manage the limited partner investments? Once you do the due diligence and the limited partner investments, the management behind that is relatively 
minimal. So just making sure that the deposits are coming in on time and then just kind of keeping an eye on how are things trending? Are they trending according to the performa that was put together? And then just staying on top of that investment. As far as time, the 20 single families take up far more time, (laughs) far more time. Yeah. But it's something that my husband and I actually really enjoy doing. So for right now, we're okay with that. What aspects of managing 20 residential units do you actually enjoy? I'm really curious to hear this. Oh, no, no, no. We don't self-manage our units. We have a, uh, all of our unit, our 20 single family residential units are managed by a property manager. We just really enjoy taking a home that's been run down in a community and rehabilitating it and basically bolstering that community in a variety of ways. We just actually finished one in Grandview, Missouri that would be beautiful home on an amazing street and literally nobody would touch it with a 10 foot pole. We went in there and really basically just removed the raccoon community. And we built the homes, but it's just taking something that's really run down and, and just making it beautiful again. That's just something that I love doing, but at the same time, it is a labor of love and it's not the best use of your time. But to that point, we leverage our property managers in order to do our rehab. So we're not actually swinging the hammer or putting the paint on the walls ourselves. And what would you say is the area where you make the most difference when overseeing your portfolio in terms of profit and loss? As far as where I have the most impact and control of the expenses, it's going to be within managing our single-family residential portfolio as a limited partner. Once you do the due diligence on the deal, you're really a passive investor. Depending on the relationship you have with the GP, you can maybe offer suggestions and give feedback. But as far as like actually once you have bought into that syndication, you buy into it specifically for it to be passive. Whereas in the residential portfolio, there's several different strings that you can pull to manage the numbers. But again, in both cases, you're really looking to buy right and run either one like a business as you would. What's been something that hasn't gone right that you can tell us about? Well, I have a few examples. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think most recently, actually with the Burr property that we just spoke about, that we just rehabbed in Kansas City, Missouri, we bought it at 95,000, did all of our due diligence that we normally do up front. We were looking to put about 30,000 into it. Once we started tearing the walls apart, there were just things that we couldn't anticipate based on the inspection and it ended up putting about another ten dollars to $12,000 into it. Fortunately, I build those variances into any of our performers whenever we're doing these type of deals. So it wasn't too much of a hit, but it did impact our numbers in the end. We were looking for obviously a home run. Not all of them are going to be that way. We are still going to be looking to make about 20% cash on cash return with that investment where we were aiming for closer to 30 to 31. What were some things that came up during due diligence? Well, we thought the raccoon family actually was moved out. Turns out they weren't. So we ended up putting a new roof on and whenever the roofer was done, actually he was almost done. He forgot to put the soffit back on. The raccoon entered in one of the open soffits and came back into the house. So all of the drywall that we had put up in one of the bedrooms had to be replaced. Also, when we went to tear down the wallpaper in the living room, 
there was mold behind the wallpaper. So that was an expense that we had to mitigate, you know, turn around and remove all that drywall, mitigate that as well. So that, that was something that we hadn't anticipated. And then just the amount of work that we had to do in the kitchen, we underestimated for that as well. But again, with any of these projects, I think anytime that you're removing drywall, you just don't know what's behind it. You have to build that into your numbers because there will be surprises. You mentioned the variance. I didn't write it down. So how do you project that in your numbers so that you have that cushion? With this particular property, just due to the condition of it, I was comfortable. I wanted to almost put in a 50% variance. So we were allotting 30000 for our rehab. I just went ahead and built in another fifteen, just in case. There were things that we didn't think that we were going to have to actually do with the property, but I wanted to make sure that we were accounting for it just in case we did. Perhaps replacing the mast with the electrical, if we had to upgrade the electrical box, if we got in that situation wanted to make sure that we had $5,000 cushion to be able to account for that. Again, anytime you take apart drywall, you just don't know what's behind it. So I always put in an extra like two to 3000 in, in this case, just with knowing that we had to mitigate pest, I doubled that and put in an additional five. So like I said, when we went over budget, it was just a couple thousand over than what our worst case scenario that we had planned for. What's another story of a challenging situation? Well, I'm not sure if this would be of interest to your listeners, but we actually had to turn an inherited property lately. I can dive into the financials around that. Please, yeah. We had a family member of mine pass away recently, and unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, we inherited a home in Houston, Texas. So we live in Boulder, Colorado, so automatically we're dealing with distance. The home we knew had not been maintained for the past at least eight years. And we knew that there were plumbing issues with the house. We already knew that there was going to be HVAC issues with the house. What we didn't realize when we ended up to go in to clean out the house, just the extent of the damage from the various plumbing issues, the HVAC going out, pictures literally had melted to the walls. The water heater had gone out. And in Houston, for some reason, two-story homes, they put the water heater in the second story. I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) So we had damage all to the family room and to the kitchen. And then we generally had to deal with a hoarding situation in the house. And then unfortunately, there was the death occurred in the house. So we had a stigma to deal with as well. So as we were digging in and looking to reposition this property or figuring out what we were going to do, if we're going to rehab it ourselves and keep it in our portfolio, rehab it and sell it, or just turn it to an investor, surprise, the house is in foreclosure. So it really took an all hands on deck. We really dove in and leveraged our network of realtors, contractors, and other investors that we knew in the area to be able to just really understand what we had on our hands, but we position it quickly and effectively. That way we could do right by the estate. When you were going through that process, what aspect of all those things was the hardest? Aside from the emotional part? Right. Dealing with the bank, honestly, dealing with the foreclosure was by far for me the hardest Just getting into a position to where you can actually communicate with the banks effectively and have them understand what your plan is. They're concerned. They have an asset that hasn't been paid on for a number of months. And when they learn of the death, they're scared. 
in a way. They're going to put pressure on the estate in order to reposition the home or get things paid off. Mm-hmm. The other thing that we learned in this process is just being on the other end of the Burr investor. Just how refreshing it was when we did end up working with investors that really took time to care about our situation and help find the best fit need for us as opposed to seeing an opportunity to get a cheap house really fast. Right. Based on your experience, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? I'd say for the best of our listeners, my best advice would be that if you have putting together a proforma on a single family deal or even a syndication, if the numbers don't make sense, find out where the numbers do make sense, make your package or make your offer on that. And if you just can't close the gap quickly enough, walk away because there's always going to be another deal behind it. I was asking about things that haven't gone right. What's a proud moment that you've had as an investor? Oh, wow. We actually just came off another rehab this spring where we had a family. And I think we were going through it at the same time as we were dealing with this inherited property. We had a a family in a house that we were looking to pick up and they were just in dire straits and just really going back to them and being able to empathize with them where they're at and work with them to strike the deal, get to the right number that worked for both parties also the right timeline that worked for both parties and not to be too anxious. And so that was a really a proud moment for me, just have that conscious awareness as an investor. Ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure, let's do it. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Do you need debt for your deal, equity for your deal, or maybe a loan guarantor to help you get qualified for the financing? Talk to Mark Belsky. His number is 212 897-9875. That's 212-897-9875. His email is mbelsky at easterneq.com. Are you looking to get started in multifamily investing or looking to grow your portfolio? Nathan Tabor has created an online course that is slammed with incredibly useful and practical information. Check it out at apartments.nathantabor.com. Best ever book you've recently read? Long Distance Real Estate Investing by David Green. How come? You know, it really encouraged me to go back and put the systems in place that I hadn't already. Like what? I think the biggest takeaway that I had from that book is we had been putting together our own deals, really looking at hundreds and hundreds of properties every month. The thing that struck me was leverage the people around you, find the deal finder that will bring you deals. And since we did that, you know, our portfolio acquisition is really accelerated. And will you elaborate on how you found the deal finder, how you compensate him or her, that sort of thing? A variety of different ways, pure networking, reaching out and just making connections, attending different RIA groups, talking to people that you already are in your network and asking them who they are doing deals with or who they would recommend. And then just really getting to know that person and building a relationship with them. As far as compensation, we look to partner with people that can find us the deal, but also potentially manage the deal if we're doing a rehab deal. So they're getting compensated on the purchase of the property. They're getting compensated on the rehab. And then if we reposition the property in any way, hopefully perhaps with property management, or if we're flipping it, they would get compensated there as well. So we're trying to create a win, win, win. Best ever deal you've done that we haven't talked about. 
first property, I purchased it for $171,000 with none of my own money. I took out a second on the property. This was back in 2004, whenever you could get 103% financing. Put about 8,000 in rehab into it and then flipped it about 11 months later for 219,000. And in that time, I had renters living in the house. So I was living for free. So I made about $50,000 off the deal between not having to pay housing expenses and then also the sale of the house. Beautiful. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction that we haven't talked about? Ooh, let's see. Biggest mistake, I would say just not buying with the location in mind. I picked up a vacation rental. I was really starry-eyed. I picked up a vacation rental here locally in Estes Park. I found it extremely hard to rent, hard to resell, and then I eventually... When I was going through the sales process, I had to rebuild the retaining wall out behind the house, which opened up a whole can of worms with the city. And then just when we closed on the property, like literally 48 hours after we closed on the property, my neighbor had parked her motorhome right behind the house on top of the newly freshly built retaining wall and it tumbled into the roof of the house. And I thought I was going to get sued. You didn't? I did not. No. My realtor at the time had both parties sign a waiver because we mutually agreed on who the construction crew and the engineer was going to be on rebuilding the retaining wall behind the house. I have to admit, I was kicking and screaming whenever I did that. But at the same time, that was probably the best asset protection that I did (laughs) during that deal. Yeah, that's good to know. I appreciate you sharing that story. What's the best ever way you like to give back? My husband and I, we actually participate in the Boulder County Foster Adopt program here. And I volunteer at my child's school, and then we're also both avid supporters of Charity Water. Best way the best ever listeners can learn more about what you're doing and and get in touch with you. They can reach out to me directly at whitney.elkins at gmail.com, or they can find me on Bigger Pockets. Well, Whitney, thank you so much for being on the show, talking about a wide range of topics. A lot of what we talked about was specific deals and wins and losses and lessons learned along the way from your 20-unit residential portfolio to some things that you look for when investing as a limited partner. So thank you so much for being on the show, sharing your advice, and we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Joe. Are you looking to get started in multifamily investing or looking to grow your portfolio? Nathan Tabor has created an online course that is slammed with incredibly useful and practical information. Check it out at apartments.nathantabor.com.